for a, a little bit of time here, just look at, um, at God's Word as we find it in, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10. And we're going to look at a section of, of Scripture there from verse um, 35 through 52. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he said. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You do not know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup or be baptized Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I was baptized with? Oh, we can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I was baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them all together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And so they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, And came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you could visualize with me uh, a map of um, the ancient uh, world back during Jesus' day, and, uh, and currently it's still somewhat the same, uh, you have the Sea of Galilee up in the north, and then you have the Dead Sea down south. And Jesus and his disciples were, were up in the north. They were up uh, kind of along the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee at this little town called Capernaum. That was the home of Peter and James and John. They were fishermen. And, and so Jesus was up there with his disciples. 
And this is, this is occurring back in chapter 9 that, that actually the story where we come to this morning uh, is picking up on. And while Jesus uh, was up there, you might remember in Matthew's gospel that Mary, the, the mother of James and John, came to Jesus and she said, Hey, Jesus, I would really like you to do something for me. What is it, Jesus says? Well, I would really, I would really love it if James or John, one or the other, if one could sit on your right and the other could sit on your left. And Jesus just shakes his head. Oh, you know, I, that's, I can't grant that. That's not for me to say. So, so that's kind of part of the backdrop as to what is happening here. And then they, they make their way kind of around the Sea of Galilee, and they're coming south to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Jesus is on his way towards Jerusalem. Those, those days which he knows are looming before him where he will celebrate the Passover with his disciples and then he's going to be betrayed and arrested. And he's going to be crucified. And along, along the way in, in Mark's gospel, we see him having some discussion with, with the Pharisees about this issue of divorce. And so he's kind of battling with them. And, and, and then this, this issue of, of what James and John were requesting seems to kind of always be looming in the background. And, and he, takes, he takes a little child and he, he brings that child, you know, bring that child to me. And he puts, puts that child on his lap and he teaches, he teaches the, the crowd around him what the kingdom of heaven is like. How to have faith. And the importance of having that faith like a child. And again, what, what, what's going on from, from chapter 9 to, to where we, we come to this point in Mark in chapter 10 is, is always in the forefront of James and John's mind. They haven't, they haven't really let that settle because they knew that mom asked. And so, you know, there's, there's still this hopefulness, the fact that, you know, maybe, just maybe. And so they've been... They've been trying to scheme and come up with this idea, and they think they've got it. They've got it pretty well settled. They've been brainstorming a lot because from Capernaum down to Jerusalem, if you're walking at a at a steady pace, is a good two two and a half day three day journey. And so, they've been walking for some time, and they've been thinking about this, and and as they come as they come towards. Towards uh, Jerusalem, there they're they're crossing over the the Jordan River and they they're coming into the the little community of Jericho there. And James says, "You go ahead, John. Ask him. Ask him. No, you ask him. I'm not. You ask him. Okay, I'm going to ask him. I'll ask him." And so they approach Jesus. And in verse thirty-five, it says they they came to Jesus and said, "Teacher." We want you to do whatever we ask of you. What a loaded question, right? Whew. And, you know, they, they, they know that come Passover and come, 
come Jesus' kingdom. He's been talking about the kingdom, right? And they've been, they've been somewhat listening. They still haven't caught on, but they know that there's going to be this uh, unholy rest for having seats around the great table. You know, and there's going to be 12 seats because there's 12 disciples. And so you know, they want to make sure that they're in that place of prominence and that place of power and prestige. And so they want, they want to get their request in early because they know if they don't, chances are Peter's going to be the one. It's always Peter. It's always Peter. And so, hey, let's, let's put in our request right now. We want you to do whatever we ask of you, Jesus. We want, we want, we want. They look at Jesus and his power, and they, they come up to him with this kind of self-serving request. And as I thought about that, I thought about my own life at times and how, yeah, I've, I've done that too. Truth be told, from time to time, I, I, I seek my own agenda. I, I want God to, to help me. You know, I, I, I try not to pray with, with our teams, whether it's our soccer team or basketball team or football team. I don't try to pray for a win. I, every now and then I slip up, and I do. I say, God, help us in this victory. But for the most part, I, I pray that God will help us to play confidently, that will execute the basics, the fundamentals. And if we do those things, God, honor us. But realizing that we have to give our opponent the respect and, and we have to humbly come into this, this competition in such a way that we need to do and take care of business. But there's, there's that human part of me that wants, I want, I want, I want, God, I want you to do this for me. God, I need you to do this for me now. God, really. And here we have these two brothers asking that. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And maybe if you think back, maybe you remember that moment or time too where your children asked you that question. Mom, Dad, would, would you be willing to do what, what I ask you to do? And hopefully, hopefully as parents, we've, we've learned. Usually it's with the first child, right? We learn. And, and so then from child, you know, two, three, four, five on down, we say, well, what is it you want me to do? And that's still, that's still a loaded question. And Jesus asks that question, what do you want me to do? I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're a kid, it's like you could ask for the world, right? I mean, you could ask anything that you want. And that's exactly what's on James and John's, John's mind and heart. We, we, Jesus, we really, we really would like to have each of us sit on your right or left. I'd like to be on your right. He'd like to be on your left. Is that, is that okay? Just kind of put that up here. Got it. And I just love Jesus' answer. 
you, you, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I was baptized? And just that arrogance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure, we can. All right. Not a problem. I mean, we've been following you around. We've, we've, we've been with you now for, for a little bit of time. We think we got it. We, we can handle it. Yeah, we got it. Silliness. Silliness. Immaturity. When I think of somebody being on Jesus' right and left, my mind immediately goes to that picture of the crucifixion where Jesus is in the middle of the of the two men, one on his right and one on his left. And the one on the one side is telling him, hey, you know, save yourself. If you're the, if you're the king of the world, you know, call down the angels, bring down fire. And the other one is, hey, shh, you, you don't know who you're talking to. Jesus, remember me. Remember me in your glory. Forgive me. That's, that's where my mind goes when I think of, of this request that these two brothers make. Francesca Johnson. She was played by Meryl Streep. That was one of the main characters in the bridges of Madison County. And in that movie, she made this statement that we are the choices that we have made. We are the choices that we have made. Every day, you and I are faced with choices, and choices have con- consequences. Many of our choices might seem relatively inconsequential. Like, does it matter if I eat at McDonald's or Wendy's? <laughs> No. Uh, does it matter whether I drive a Chevy or a Ford? M- maybe. I don't know. I am a Chevy man. It really doesn't, it really doesn't matter whether, you know, you eat a McDonald's. or those, These kinds of things, you know, are inconsequential. I was debating whether to wear a dark, you know, black jacket today or, you know, this, this gray tweed. I'm not, I'm not trying to get a, a job at a Fortune 500 company. But some choices are very consequential. For example, it does really matter. It does matter greatly who you decide to spend the rest of your life with. When you begin that dating process and when you think that, oh, I found the love, this is the one, it, it really does matter that you communicate and that you, you try to figure some things out before you go into that relationship because the foundation upon which you build that relationship, whether, whether God is at the center of that or whether God is kind of on the outside and, and we're more concerned about other things, it, it's going to matter. It does matter. It really does matter on this issue of who is Jesus Christ? Do I believe that he is who he says he is? It matters. 
And it's against this backdrop of the choices that we make that James and John make this breathtakingly inappropriate request. What does it mean to believe and follow Jesus? And, and I, I want to I have us see a couple of different things here. Two, two different types of choices made by, by two different types of people. Again, if we, we look at our text in, in verse 35, James and John have addressed Jesus as teacher. It's obvious that they have not understood much of what Jesus has been teaching because they chose to ask Jesus for glory. They chose to ask Jesus for power, for prestige. Grant that one of us sits on your right and one of us sits on your left in your glory. Now, as perverse as that seems, after what Jesus has been talking about, he's been, he's been talking about his impending death, the fact that they were moving towards Jerusalem. This has been kind of a reoccurring theme as well. They know what's coming up, that he's going to be betrayed and killed. And instead of maybe a response of showing some empathy and concern, like, oh my goodness, you know, how are we going to, Jesus, how are we going to survive? Remind us again, what, what does this mean for us? We've been following you around. We don't know who's going who's to replace you. Oh my goodness. No. Instead, we're arguing about who's the greatest. That, that happened back in chapter 8 and 9 as well. Who's the greatest of us all? And Jesus has had to deal with this. And his, his response has been the same uh, in, in the previous chapters of, of Mark as it is here. And he's trying to teach them. He's trying to help James and John see that they're missing the point when they've asked to be seated on thrones on either side of him. And he says that. He says it in verse 38. You, you don't know what you're asking. And he tries to correct them. The cup. you know, are, Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? The cup oftentimes symbolized suffering. It was, it was oftentimes symbol, symbolic of God's wrath. The baptism language has the same meaning. And so what Jesus is saying to James and John, can you do what I'm going to do? Can can you undergo this? Can you bear this kind of punishment that sin deserves? Can you bear the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and save others by doing that? The answer, of course, is, is no. Like you and me, they need to be saved themselves from God's anger and punishment and judgment. And that's why Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. It's very unfortunate that they want glory. They don't see Jesus' death as something that's necessary. They anticipate that when Jesus' kingdom is established, there's going to be this unholy scramble for the best seats. And so they judge it prudent to kind of get first in line, making their advanced reservation. 
they, they want to be singled out. They're the go-getters. They're, they're the status seekers. They're very ambitious, hungry for fortune and fame. And suffering and death just doesn't figure into that kind of thinking at the moment. And again, we, we, we can kind of get that inference from the fact that they were sons of Zebedee. If, if we go back far enough, we can, we can look at the, the calling of James and John. When Jesus was walking along the side, the, the seashore of, of Galilee there, and he, and he calls them, and he calls Peter, and he says, hey, come follow me. And he goes a little further, and he sees James and John, and he says, hey, come follow me. And it says that they dropped their met nets immediately and left their father. And it talks about Zebedee and the fact that he must have had a pretty, pretty good business going. He had servants. And James and John must have had some experience of having things done for them. They, they had this sense of entitlement. I see that a lot. That's something that I've, I've talked with many of our athletes about and I've addressed in, in numerous situations and occasions. This sense of entitlement. Hey, did you know that I was Mr. Basketball or that I was Mr. Football in the state of Michigan? I should deserve to start. I mean, after all, do you know who I am? How come I don't get all the, the new stuff? How come I'm getting kind of the hand-me-down stuff? Do you know who I am? Many of us, we wrestle with that. We, we want the best job. We want the best car. We want the best house. And perhaps it's not surprising when we remember, again, what, what we've been conditioned for and how we've been conditioned James and John, has, they've, they've missed this part about being a servant. And Jesus reminds them. He reminds them of that. He, he begins that, that dialogue with them in, in verse 42 where he says, You know that the Gentiles lord it over them. Uh, their, their authorities exercise uh, authority over them. And, and yet it's not going to be that way with you. I want you to be different. And again, they still haven't totally made that connection with Jesus' life and ministry and how he's calling them to live. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm, I'm doing this so that, so that others can live. Again, they, they've just missed that part of Jesus' teaching. They choose to ask for this, this position of power and prestige and glory. And then, and then in verse 46, we, we get to the story of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. And we see the choice that he makes. He's different from the disciples He's heard about Jesus. He's, he's not unfamiliar with this man from Nazareth, this Galilean, this person who's, who's been healing the lame, healing the deaf, and giving sight to the blind. 
And he, he knows. He knows who Jesus of Nazareth is. And I can just imagine that man. In his mind and in his heart, he is thinking, if ever there's that opportunity where I get a chance to meet Jesus, I want that opportunity. I want to I I touch him. I, I want to be able to feel his features a little bit. As a blind person, what that must be like. Living your life, not being able to see, depending on others to give you some money so that you can at least buy bread, that you can maybe feed yourself for a day or two. He recognizes that as Jesus, as it says, he comes into Jericho and there's a crowd following him. And as they're kind of turning the corner there at Jericho and and beginning to head towards Jerusalem, he hears this commotion and, and the talking. It's amazing how acute your other senses become when you, you lose one. And he can't believe what his ears are hearing. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Oh my goodness. And, and so he cries out. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Everybody else in the crowd who's just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus as he's walking through, shh, be quiet, Bartimaeus, hush. And he, he screams all the louder. He's more indignant. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus' ears pick that up. And he says, call, call him, call him. And immediately, you know, the People that are near Bartimaeus say, hey, he heard you. Come on, get up. And so he gets up, throws his cloak off, and they're probably pushing him through the crowd where he comes up to Jesus. and He can sense his presence. And I'm sure he's probably just got to touch him. Jesus, he's standing in front of Jesus. And Jesus asks him the same question that he asked James and John, what is it you want me to do for you? What is it you want me to do for you? And remember Bartimaeus' response? He says, I want to see. I want to see. The differences in this story, though, is that Bartimaeus addresses Jesus as rabbi. He says, Rabbi, I want to see. James and John said, Teacher, Rabbi is translated my Lord, my master in the, in the Greek language. My master, I want to see. And, and ironically, even, they, even though James and John weren't physically blind, that's exactly the request that James and John probably should have asked for because they were the ones who really haven't been able to see what Jesus was all about, even though they've been with him. They haven't caught on. And Bartimaeus asks for mercy. He realizes he doesn't deserve anything. He cries, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. 
Bartimaeus' cry is not for power. It's not for position and status. He doesn't want to be you know, right next to Jesus on his right or left. He's asking for mercy. Even when those people are telling him to be quiet, he keeps on asking. The blind man has seen who Jesus really is. He knows who Jesus is. And Jesus welcomes him and calls him and asks him the same questions. And, and he says, go. Your faith has made you well. Literally, in the Greek, verse 52, it says, your faith has saved you. So whereas James and John ask for status and receive a sharp rebuke, Bartimaeus asks for mercy and he's saved. So how should you and I respond to Jesus? What, what was Jesus' earthly ministry and life for? But to give life. Not just earthly life, but life eternal. To save us from our sin. To serve others. To share the good news of, of the kingdom of God. And that's, that, that challenges me. It, it rekindles in me that commitment that I have when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. To share the good news. I don't always have the right words. I don't always say them eloquently. I stumble and fumble over words all the time. But when Jesus brings those divine appointments in front of me, it's like, yeah, let's sit down a minute. Let's, I want to hear your story. What's, what's really at, at, at the root of this? How can, how can I pray for you? And it has just been so so amazing to see how God continues to work. Just in the in the past month, I've had two of our students who've come in in different places in their in their faith journey. One who has been raised in a in a solid home. Mom and dad have been very faithful at church, and he grew up in the church. And his comment to me was. He said, Pastor Mike, he says, I know I have, the, I have the hammer and I have the nails. I just don't always know how to use them. And he says, I, I, I want to I I read God's word and, and, and try to understand it and how, how I can apply that in my life. I said, that sounds like a great place to start. And so, and so we've just begun. We've, we've just begun meeting and talking about God's Word and the power of God's Word and committing God's Word to memory. Some of you maybe have heard of the Navigators 2-7 series, and, and I'm using some of that material with, with this student. Another student has come to me out of frustration because she's an athlete and, and not playing and, and just struggling with that. And how to, how to sort through that with her faith, again, not having as much structure and so it's, it's starting at a different level. And how do we develop and grow in that faith and relationship with Jesus? 
in either instance, and in, in, in the instances that you find your life right now, whether having children at home or, or being empty nesters and, and having grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren, what's the focal point of Jesus' life and ministry? In verse 43, he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just because we age or we get a knee replaced or you know, we retire from our occupation doesn't mean that we stop living for Jesus. We're I'm beginning to ask myself that. How can I be repurposed? My wife, she, she's, she went down to part-time work, and she's asked me, she says, how long do you think you're going to do this? When are you going to retire? I, I honestly don't know. I, I just, I love what I do. And even if I'm not doing campus ministry at Ferris State, God, how, how would you use me? What, what doors are open and available that I could continue to live my life for you and serve you in this capacity and bring hope into, the, into those that, that you surround me with to share the good news of what you've done in my life and to invite others into that relationship with you? Jesus' whole purpose was to come and serve and to give his life. And I'm so grateful that he did because I'm one of his children. And, and you are too. And if we know who Jesus is, then we have that higher calling. We have, we have somebody who's shown us how. And it's exciting because it's not necessarily that you have to do it this exact way. I've been asking God to give me an openness of mind and heart. If God brings somebody to the campus ministry, I don't want them to be like me. I don't want them to be like Mike. I want them to be like Ryan or Greg or Sally or, or Susan. I want them to be just who God created them to be and to use those gifts and passions so that others may live so that others would have the good news that you and I have been exposed to and have lived in and continue to journey in Christ with as a body of believers here. May God challenge us to live our lives in such a way. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And we recognize that there are many choices in life, and so help us to be be fervent in prayer, to be seeking you in those moments when we struggle with, with what's best and, and what decisions do we make when we're, we're given opportunities to answer a, an open-ended question. God, we pray for wisdom and discernment that you would continue to use us and lead us and guide us, that you would speak to us. God, I thank you so much that you've not given up on me, that you continue to, to mold and shape and fashion me in your image. And I pray that you would do so with my friends here at Ellsworth.
that they would be this beacon of hope to this community and others around the world. I praise and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's invite the praise team up and uh, help lead us in our song of response here. Speak.